last week we did a, a, a serious message on uh, preparing our hearts and making straight ways, and we talked about repentance. And, and, and as, when, when we do that and uh, do the hard work of, uh, of getting ourselves right with God, then we can enjoy all the beauty that comes along with, with the blessings as well. And so today, I have a message on joy. I always love to do messages. I, I Usually I'm trying to be as sensitive as I can to the message that God gives me, and sometimes there's tougher messages, but um, this being the third week of Advent and Joy, my message is called Good Tidings of Great Joy. I think it's certainly needed in a time like this. With all that's going on in the world today, with the pandemic and the threats to the Democratic Republic, with the threats to the economy and the wars and fighting around the world, One can't help but feel small in the overall scheme of things. How could God give any attention to our individual needs when it seems like the whole world is in turmoil? Well, if you've ever been tempted to consider that thought, let me assure you that the Creator of the universe, the Heavenly King, Almighty God and our loving Father, indeed is big enough to hold all the intricacies of your life in his mind and in his hands. How do I know this? Because God did not just create the world and then push a button to set everything into motion at the beginning of time. He poured over every single detail and made sure to bring it to pass exactly as he planned to show how much he cares for each one of us. Still not convinced? then let me show you an example of his incredible attention to detail as we discuss some portions of the Christmas story on this third week of Advent. Now, we're all familiar with the trip that Joseph and Mary took from Nazareth to Bethlehem to register for a census. We know the story of the starry night when there was no place for them to stay, and so when Jesus was born, he was laid in a manger, a feeding trough, But I bet that there are some intricate details of the story that you may not have known or even considered. Intricate details that God had included in His plan from the very beginning. As we are reminded of the angelic announcement bringing good tidings of great joy, let us put ourselves in the place of the shepherds to whom the first announcement came that we might truly understand this great joy as one prophecy after another was was fulfilled on that first Noel. First of all, we have to understand that our perception of the Christmas story has in many ways been built on the American telling through film and art, even if it is not detailed in the Bible as such. So let's let us go to the Bible and examine some ancient Jewish culture and history. Luke 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Did you ever wonder why God announced it to shepherds? There's a a lot of great detail what God brought together uh, to bring this to happen. You see, Luke's original audience would have immediately picked up on the religious significance of the Bethlehem shepherds watching their flocks by night. Aware of the instructional words in the Tanakh, or the Old Testament, about Hebrew temple worship, 
they would have known that when you said Bethlehem, you were referring to sacrificial lambs. The hills around Bethlehem were home to hundreds of lambs used in ritual worship in the temple in Jerusalem. As a boy from Bethlehem, King David would have likely tended sheep destined for the daily offerings used in sacrifices on the holy feasts in these very hills. Every day, according to the Torah, two lambs were required for daily sacrifice in the temple. Over 700 sacrificial lambs were needed each year, plus the hundreds more lambs needed for the Feast of Passover, as well as the other religious festivals. The twice-daily offered uh, offering of a male lamb, as commanded in the Torah, was known as the tamid, which means a continual. There would be a continual offering as they would continue to offer sacrifices to the Lord. It was offered up as the first and last offering each day. And scripturally, it is only the, the only sacrifice that strictly called for a male lamb without spot or blemish. The lamb was sacrificed in these feasts. The lamb was sacrificed at the third hour every morning and at the ninth hour every afternoon. Continually every day of the year for the people to be able to stand in the presence of God. Of course, you may recall that Jesus was hoisted up on the cross at the third hour in the morning, and he was offered up as a sacrificial lamb once and for all when he died on the cross at the ninth hour. God bringing all of these details to pass as Jesus truly was the perfect Passover lamb. Don't ever think that God is not big enough to take care of every detail in your life. And throughout time, God has connected the dots to lay out the plan for those who are seeking Him and following Him and waiting for a sign from heaven for their Messiah to come. You see, everyone in Israel recognized Bethlehem as being synonymous with sacrificial lambs. Micah, the Hebrew prophet, also foretold of the Messiah's coming and of His birth in Bethlehem. He prophesied something amazing that's often overlooked. Let me show you this. Micah chapter 4, verse 8. It says, And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. See, although this is an obscure prophecy that many people do not study, Micah disclosed that the Messiah who embodied the hope of the kingdom of Israel, was to be revealed from the tower of the flock. What was the tower of the flock? Well, in Hebrew, it's the word migdal eder. And close by where the shepherds were camped that night, in the northern part of Bethlehem, on the road to Jerusalem, about an hour's walk by foot, was the tower known as migdal eder, or the tower of the flock. This was the station where shepherds brought their flocks destined for sacrifices in the temple. Israeli archaeologists recently found this exact tower. On the night in which Jesus was born, the angelic message came to those priests of the temple, whose duties had been designated often from their youth to keep watch over their flocks. These were not just any flock or any herd. The shepherds who kept them were men who were specifically trained for this royal task of preparing the sacrifice to be offered in the temple. 
They were educated in what an animal that was to be sacrificed had to be. And it was their job to make sure that none of the animals were hurt or damaged or blemished. You see, during the lambing season, the sheep were brought to the tower from the fields as the lower level functioned as a birthing room for sacrificing lambs. Being themselves, the shepherds, these royal priests, being themselves under rabbinical care, these priests would strictly maintain a ceremonially clean birthing place. Once birthed, the priestly shepherds would routinely place two lambs in the depression of a limestone rock known as the manger and wrap the newborn lambs in swaddling cloths preventing them from thrashing about and harming themselves until they had calmed down so they could be inspected for the quality of having without spot or blemish. There had to be two lambs so that if the first one was found upon inspection by the priest to have some sort of blemish, there would be another lamb available to prevent any delay in the sacrifice ritual. How does that relate to Christ in this detail? Would you remember when Jesus was brought before the people? and they, that they had two to be offered, Jesus and Barabbas. But the people chose instead to release Barabbas, and they chose Jesus instead. So Jesus became the sacrifice to the people, the perfect Lamb of God without blemish, who would take away the sins of the world. Well, on the night of Christ's birth, an angel appeared to the shepherds who were out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, and instructed them with these words. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. See, we have to put ourselves in the sandals of those who are out in the fields to understand how joyful they really would have been as these prophetical references and signs were coming to pass. It truly was a night of great joy. It is this that we are to remember as we approach the Christmas season and recall the hope and the joy and the love that was all wrapped into that angelic proclamation from on high. Luke 2, verse 11, they continued, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who was Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. By approaching this subject from the Hebrew perspective, we see that while swaddling cloths were used in the handling of newborn babies, swaddling bands were used for subduing animals prior to sacrifice. These swaddling bands were strips of gauze-like cloth that were used to restrain a lamb being prepared for inspection before sacrifice to prevent them from thrashing around so as not to blemish themselves like we've shared. A sacrifice had to be bound in order to be valid. Binding an animal for sacrifice was specifically mentioned, if you remember, when Abraham was asked to bind his own son Isaac for sacrifice. Now, thankfully, that sacrifice never was consummated because God provided a ram in the thicket, but he was bound nonetheless. But as we get back to the tower of the flock on that beautiful night in Bethlehem, we see that the shepherds there were keeping watch over their flock. As shared earlier, the priests would climb the tower 
and look out over the flock to see any signs of sheep who were about to give birth. Sheep usually get fidgety and paw the ground and separate themselves from the flock just before birthing a lamb. When the signs were noticed, they would bring the sheep to the tower's ground floor where it would give birth in a ceremonially clean area. When the lamb was born, and if it was without blemish, it was immediately wrapped in these strips of cloth. Yet these were not just any old strips of cloth. They were strips made from the old high priest's undergarments. The purpose was to make sure the lamb would stay unblemished. The priest would then put a lamb in a manger to keep it safe from getting trampled. So when the angel of the Lord told the shepherds in the field that the Savior had been born and the sign was he would be wrapped in the same clothes as the sacrificial sheep and placed in a manger, they would have immediately understood the significance of the sign. Luke 2, verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Since there were no directions provided for the instruction from the angel, the question had to be asked, where would they know, where would they have known to go? Well, there was no need for the angels to give the shepherds directions to the birthplace because they already knew where sacrificial lambs were prepared in a manger. These were the men who raised the lambs that were to be sacrificed in the temple. When the angelic announcement came and knowing the prophecies that the priestly duties associated with this area, the shepherds knew exactly where to go with only limited information. They headed towards the birthing tower, the tower of the flock, to look for Jesus laying where sacrificial sheep would be laid. You cannot explain the meaning or direction of the sign they were given or from the response, unless you have the right manger, the right shepherds, and the proper Hebraic perspective. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths as he lay in the manger. How fitting it was that the first clothes that Jesus wore were the clothes or the cloths of a priest. Indeed, God takes care of every detail, bringing it to pass. To pass. And so where does that leave us? We need only to turn to the living Word of God to see how we fit into His perfect will because if all of this was in God's will and He made sure to take care of it and bring it all to pass from the prophecies to the signs down to the smallest detail relating to sheep and the, uh, and, and the Good Shepherd, how does that, where does that put us? Well, to make sure that we are in God's will, to make sure God brings that to pass, we turn to the Scriptures in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18. It tells us, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You see, the way that we make sure that we stay in His perfect will is by doing the following. Number one, we rejoice always. This is an intentional choice that we all must make daily. Sure, we can dwell on the unknowns around us and allow our minds to be dominated by the fear and the worry and the negativity in the world today. Or we can choose intentionally 
to rejoice that our God is sovereign. He is still sitting on the throne. He is in the process right now of ushering in His kingdom as the fullness of time comes together. We rejoice for the good tidings of great joy that He delivered through the gift of Jesus Christ. The gift for all who accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalves. That we might be forgiven. That our sins might be washed away. That we might be made new by the grace and love and power of God. We rejoice that God takes care of all things. From the monumental actions to the details that we aren't even aware of. God is in control. He always has been and He always will be. He knows that each, He knows what each one of us is going through right now. For those of you who have been following along, my mom has been in the hospital for two weeks and has been, it's been a rough road. We cannot have visitors and it's hard to get information and she's had a lot of things going on. But I, I want to give you a personal thanks for those who've been praying for her. She's be, begun to be a lot better. Her blood pressure has improved. Her uh, hemoglobin levels have gone up. And she is getting close to being transferred into a, a skilled nursing care um, out of the hospital. And so I want to give you thanks from the bottom of my heart. I know a lot of people are in very difficult situations. But I will tell you that God, none of these details escapes God's notice. As we continue to trust Him, God will give us the strength that we need for each and every day. As we rejoice in Him, it's like we're saying to God, God, I trust You with my life. I trust You with my emotions and my choices and my future. I will let you know that this is the greatest type of spiritual warfare that one can do. To rejoice in God regardless of your circumstances. You see, the enemy thinks he has you down. He thinks he can cause a circumstance in your life. He thinks he can bring you down. But when you just rejoice in God because of God is sovereign, the enemy knows that he can't touch you. And he knows that you are a child of God and protected in the family of God. No matter what you are going through today, lay it aside. Begin to praise your heavenly Father and rejoice in Him. Number two, so we rejoice always. The second step to stay in God's will is to pray without ceasing, to pray continually. This is an intentional choice again to keep talking to God and to keep listening to God. Seek to preserve your God filter. In other words, let every thought and every feeling and every temptation and response to life stimuli filter through your awareness of God in your life and you remaining in His will. God's not surprised. God knows every thought even before you have it. God knows everything you're going to do even before you do it. But as, but as you share that with God and, and you're aware of what God is doing in your life, then you stay close to Him. The Bible tells us to take every thought captive to the uh, obedience of Christ. If we learn to pray without ceasing, then we will never drift too far away from God so that we can't bring every thought to Him and see the world from His perspective. By praying without ceasing, our first reaction is to take all of our needs to God. In doing so, we cut out the middlemen. You know the ones I'm talking about. That they try to get in there before we go to God. Those middlemen of worrying and complaining and negativity and fear and doubt. God knows that the world around us is constantly trying to move us into fear and anger and doubt. He does not want that to happen to any of His children. 
So he gives us the essential instruction of praying without ceasing. That means just talking to God no matter what you're going through. God is big enough to handle your anger, so if you're angry, go to God with it. He's big enough to handle your doubts, so if you have doubts, go to God with it. God wants us to keep that that communion with Him continually flowing. That's how we stay in His will. We rejoice always. We pray without ceasing. And finally, number three, in everything we give thanks. As the Scripture tells us, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So many people are praying and saying, I just want to know God's will for my life. I just want to be in His will. Well, if you want to be in His will and you want to know His will, then rejoice always, regardless of the circumstances. Pray without ceasing, keeping that open flow with God and listening to Him. And in everything, give thanks. As we examine the intricate details of the Christmas story and God's plan throughout time, let us be reminded that God is in control. He will bring His plan to pass. And if you have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in your life, then you are in His plan. You are in His perfect will. We must remind one another to give thanks in all things. Give thanks that we are in His plan. Give thanks that God bears our burdens, that He gives us strength for the journey, that He gives us our daily bread, knowing exactly what each of us need to make it through the day. I had the opportunity to talk to my mom this past week, and I prayed the Our Father with her, the Lord's Prayer. And I told her that our church is praying each day as we pray for everyone in our church. We're praying for daily bread, that God would give her what she needs each day, her daily bread. That's been our prayer for all of you, that God would give each of you your daily bread, what you need to make it through each day. We give thanks that God has brought you into His family. Give thanks that He has brought you into this church to hear His message of good tidings, of great joy. As we focus on the Lord and the message of hope, we rejoice always. We pray without ceasing. And in everything we give thanks. And as we do this throughout this Advent season, we make straight paths for the Lord to birth Jesus in our hearts. This is the story that we need to be telling the world. Jesus Christ is the hope for the world. The good tidings of great joy for all people. We must make Him known. That is what God has called us to be. As, as, as great as that proclamation was that night to the shepherds, God asks us to proclaim this truth to those around us. They're looking for a message. There's a lot of despair out there. There's a lot of people looking for hope. And we have it. Let each of us be a light unto the world this Christmas season. Amen? Please uh, join me in just reflecting on the truth of the Scriptures as we have our song of reflection. Isn't He?